I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant Word. Father, as a desperate man, I'm in need of Your help to just restate what's here restated in different words, to be faithful to the context, to the sentences and to the syntax. And then all of us under this word are desperate for the activity of your Holy Spirit within us as we behold in this, the amazing, fatherly love you have toward us who believe by your grace. So do that in our midst this morning, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So look down at your Bible, look down at the paragraph I just read. Really, even give you a couple minutes to look at it yourself. You hopefully, because you can read, will notice that the structure of it is very simple to grasp. Verse one, first part, is the main point of the whole paragraph. Pay much closer attention to the gospel, to God's word. Okay, why? Well, the answer is so that you don't drift away from it. What's wrong with that? I mean, wh wh why is that important? The answer is verses two to four. Because if you drift and you thus go on neglecting this great salvation, you will not escape the penalty of God's wrath. That's the structure of this paragraph before us. So notice now as we make that transition into chapter 2, which really there is no such a thing in the original writing, but, but the markers, that first word, therefore, at the beginning, 
Which means, in other words, based upon everything he has said in chapter 1, therefore, do this. In chapter 1, if you remember, we spent many weeks in it, but he never told the readers, nor us, to do anything. The whole chapter was just this deep theology of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. What he told us is that something pivotal in human history happened in the coming of Jesus. Remember verse 1, chapter 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us or to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And that's what chapter 1 was all about. God, the Son, incarnate, become flesh. And then He goes on to summarize who that Son is. He has been appointed the heir of all things, through whom also God created the world. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of His nature. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then He goes on to quote seven Old Testament texts to Make sure that we get it, that Jesus is infinitely superior to all the angels. In fact, the angels worship Him and they worship Him because He is God the Son. Then we come to the word, therefore, at the beginning of chapter 2. Dia tuta, or in other words, because of this, or for, the, for this reason, everything I've just said, here's the command in light of it. Do this. Because God has spoken in the coming of His Son. Therefore, for this reason, we must. See it? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. And so the first commandment in the book of Hebrews is that we pay very close attention to what the gospel says, to what it means. God has spoken by sending His Son, who made purification for our sins and now sits and reigns over the entire creation sovereignly. And therefore what? Listen to Him very carefully. Why? 
The answer is because there will be no escape for any of us who neglect such a great salvation. That's verse 3, is it? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So you see the word for, the beginning of verse 2. Okay, that, that, that means here's the reason we must not drift away from paying close attention to the gospel, to the truth, to Christ, to the message. Here it is. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That's a call for every Christian worshiping the Lord in their local churches throughout this world this morning and here. It's a call to self-examination. Is the gospel... You know, is its meaning, is its implications something that I neglect? Or is it something that I treasure, that, that I focus on, that I love? That would be an interesting poll for Barna or the Gallup poll to take of American evangelicals. Do you neglect the gospel? Is it just something that's put into your very busy life as the religious function that you do? It is a very serious text. And to neglect our great salvation will mean for some church-going people a judgment that they will not escape from. But let me, let me jump forward in this book. Remember, the author will say, but I have greater hope and dreams for you. Because no true Christian will ultimately neglect it. Now notice though, notice here, he doesn't say, but when it comes to, here it is, pay very close attention, okay, get about this, he doesn't say, don't neglect some miserable chores like mowing the lawn or edging the grass or doing more laundry or mopping the floor. That's not what it says. He says, don't neglect something that is great. Don't neglect 
this great salvation. What are you saying? Do not neglect the joy of basking in that you have been forgiven by God for all of your sin. Don't neglect being welcomed and accepted into His family. Do not neglect the reality that you're protected forever by this eternal Savior. Don't neglect the doctrine of Christ's substitutionary atonement for your sins. Don't neglect that great truth that God's holy wrath has been removed from you through the propitiation of Jesus on the cross. Don't neglect the, the, the utterly free gift of righteousness to you, imputed to your account by faith in Christ alone. Don't neglect the reality that you have been adopted by God in the work of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you and is the one who causes you to cry out, Abba, Father, don't neglect understanding that the miracle of new birth means that's what created you as a Christian. That's what came before your saving faith. Don't neglect the hundreds upon hundreds of promises written in the Scripture that have all been secured by the blood of Jesus. All of those promises have their yes and their amen. So be it in Him. That's what He's saying. He, he, in other words, He's saying, instead of the negative, don't neglect, He's saying, seek your own happiness in God. Through Christ. Don't be distracted by the world or your own flesh and sinful nature or Satan's deceptions. Don't be that person because if you end up being an ultimate neglecter, of these great gospel doctrines applied to your life, then you will perish without escape. That's the Christian life. It's a battle of paying close attention to the treasure of Christ, to the gospel, so that, the text says, you don't drift away from it. The opposite of neglecting our great salvation is verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have already heard, lest we drift away from it. Negatively, do not neglect. Positively, 
pay closer attention. Let your ears constantly prick up. Like right now, when a pastor's preaching, or in your Bible reading, or in your contemplation, let your ears of your heart listen. Because the flow is, God has spoken in His Son. Do you listen? In the context as a whole, besides chapter 1, he's referring to, to what we have heard in the New Testament. Just real briefly, I might come back here next week, I'm not sure yet, but just briefly, that's what verse 3 means when he says, it, the, the it is what you've heard, the it is what you're to pay close attention to. It was declared at first by the Lord Jesus himself. And then it was attested to us, here are these guys, relationship with the apostles earlier on, attested to us by those who heard Him. And so that listen, that pay attention, it's a command. Think about it. Every one of us, if there's something that we want to listen to, we make it happen. I do. You know, if you know me, for 30 years, I decided to make it happen that I would habitually listen to Dennis Prager. One way or another, whether on record later, how I do stuff, I said, that's going in my life. And you do it too. We do it with your favorite podcast or two a week, or you do it with your favorite TV show. If we want something, we will make it happen. The question is, how do those things compare with our listening to God's Word? Are you making provision for that? This text is saying that the Christian life consists of continual, active, not passive, active reading, listening, attentiveness to the Scripture, not casually. Paying much closer attention means you don't approach it like Oh, yeah, now, yeah, I was reading Romans 3 today, but I already knew about justification by faith. Th that response with that at right there, that's a really bad sign. It's a bad sign. This is not merely an intellectual endeavor. It's a relational endeavor. I remember many, many years ago, someone visited on Sunday morning at Sovereign Grace. And I didn't know the person. But I knew, I found out about him later, but this is a person who went to Bible college and graduated and served in staff ministry for numbers of years. And his life 
for the last decade and a half or so up to that point totally went off. And I asked a friend of his, well, what did he think about the church service? And concerning this part of the preaching, this is what he communicated to that friend in these words. Oh, I already knew that stuff. That's not a coincidence that life off the rails with an approach to the Word of God that way. As he will say, that's what is becoming dull of hearing. There is an urgency here in verse 1 of chapter 2. I mean, literally, from the Greek, the word necessary, day. It's necessary, and then with the adverb. In other words, it's, it's extremely or exceedingly necessary that we take heed to what we have heard. Oh. The idea that any of us would walk into any church or Bible study or conference and so-and-so is going to preach on the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Oh, I already know that stuff. I taught that before. Uh, the Christian, let me hear it. Oh, preach it well, please, to my soul. That's sanctification. That's a major part of it. That's what he's going to say, right? Beginning of chapter 3 here in the book of Hebrews. What's he going to say? Consider. Consider this. Consider the object. Jesus. Now, that's not difficult to do. Unless you don't want to do it. And stuff we don't want to do is always difficult to do. And that's the difference in this world between the haves and the have-nots. Between those who by God's grace and grace alone have Jesus and those who don't. To say it another way, that's the difference between new birth and those who have not been new birthed or regenerated. We are all born into sin and we all do not have naturally a desire to appreciate the beauty and the glory and the commands and the joy and the perfections of God in Jesus Christ as Savior from our sin. We don't do it. And that's why what happens is that word comes and the Spirit causes one to be born again. And what happens? They're made a new creature. They've been given a new heart. They've been given new eyes in order to see the greatness of God and the greatness of the salvation that is in 
Christ. And when that happens, therefore, we find Hebrews chapter 1 amazing and compelling to our souls. And so we sing songs of Jesus like we did this morning with our hearts. And therefore, the transition into chapter 2 is, yes, I get it, it makes sense. Therefore, Joe, you sinner, as Bob's made clear, quoting Paul this morning, this battle where my flesh doesn't want to revel or think carefully about what's given. But the Spirit within me does. I have a mind that's been changed. It does, and there is the battle. And therefore, that therefore we must pay much closer attention to what he says. Rings true. And that's, that's that great assurance. Is that you? Oh, yes. You're born again. You're born again. You'll never be a total neglector. Be comforted. And read it with the same attentiveness the next day you wake up and take that command seriously. A central activity of the Christian life is soaking in the Scriptures. Now, let's just concentrate for a moment then on, on, on the second part of verse 1 for a moment. Lest we drift away from it. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest, in other words, in order that we not drift away from it. If we don't make it our drive in life to pay closer and closer attention to the meaning of the Scripture, the meaning of what Christ and the apostles spoke and wrote, then we will drift away from it. And some baptized people into destruction without escape. Now we know the word drift, it, it, it means that slow, almost at times imperceptible, unless you're close enough to a shoreline to see that house is over there now down the river, where you drift. Like a few of us back in Arkansas last summer, we parked a car miles down there and drove the truck up here and blew up that big raft and we sat in it and pushed it into the river with an ice chest and drifted. You just drift. So if you want to go on day after day in life without any struggle, then you'll move. You will move. Just drift toward a harder and a harder heart. Just drift 
toward love of the world. Now, some of us in here are young. Some of us are older. Some of us have been in the church for 40 years or more as Christians. And us older people can tell you younger people, we know real people with real faces, with real names, who sang the same songs, and they neglected, and their life became a wreck. And some didn't escape. It's real. There are many church-going people who are in a place where in their lives, in their relationship with God, there's no urgency. There's no vigilance to absorb and to love, and to read and to think about and to treasure and to do the Scripture. There's no drive to meet the glory of God in the Bible. So don't miss the point of the text. There's no standing still. The world is a river flowing downhill. Drifting is deadly to the Christian life. We, last June, didn't quite make it to the car. I'm going to tell you why and batteries and all that, but we realized we need to get out now, and we passed a place where we got to get out. So then we had to work. We had to go against the current to try to go back up a little bit and out. And that's the Christian life. Don't drift, but pay very close attention to what you have heard. And so this is how this works in, in the Scripture, where you'll see this kind of stuff all over. You'll see it all over Hebrews. See, what, what's happening in Christian life by we being told that kind of a thing is that those of us who have been born again, that we are in Christ, that in other words, we ultimately hear Christ. Oh, we do some drifting. But then we hear it again. And we listen to Christ. It means what we do... It's part of what saving faith is, is we take those warnings seriously. Oh, pay very close attention, or to just to say the same thing the way he does it, and the opposite is this. Oh, say it this way. Hate, hate drifting. See the shoreline, you think, oh, I'm moving the wrong way. And wake up again on that Wednesday. Hate it. Hate drifting. H hate it as much as you would hate it if all of a sudden you were awakened and you're in the water and it's really calm, extremely calm, but you were, oh, I'm moving. Oh, five feet. 
And then you look this way and you realize 50 yards ahead is Niagara Falls. Hate it as much as you would hate that. And swim for your life to the side as fast as you can. True Christians do find themselves drifting. And then texts like these awaken them because of the Holy Spirit within them and thus causes them again. Yes, that's for me. I've got to take that warning seriously. And that process, that's the, a sign you belong to Him. You're born again. He's not letting you go. He's awake. You say to him, I don't want to neglect my wonderful Jesus. Oh, that's a horrible way to keep going and neglecting this great salvation. Okay, now, briefly, let's just look at the argument there in verse 2. The argument for why we won't escape if we neglect. So here he goes, verse 2. For, this is the reason, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Since that's true, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? In other words, he's saying, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, God did not speak directly. He spoke through mediators like Moses and the prophets. And the whole point here is that they were attended by angels, angelic beings. But it was the Word of God that came. But indirectly, through them, and nevertheless, that when there was disobedience, you can read it all over the Old Testament, God took it very seriously. Even though it wasn't direct, they received just punishment. Now, he says, something much greater has come than that. God has spoken to us through His Son directly. God, the Son incarnate, incarnate has spoken this great salvation through his words and his life and his death and his resurrection. Whew, that's the flow of his argument. And so now the author says, if we neglect this great word, then we're much more guilty than the Old Testament people who disobeyed the Word of God that was given through mediators and angels. And therefore, we won't escape. Now, clarification time. To walk, to obey, to take heed to this paragraph, in other words, this 
pain, close attention to the Word is not adding works to justification, to salvation. It's the evidence of salvation. Because if Christ is your Savior, then your attentiveness, your listening, your loving, your seeing, the beauty of Christ in the Scriptures, your hungering for Him, if you belong to Him, all of that in your life from new birth to death has been purchased by Jesus. He purchased your sanctification just as much as your justification. In your sanctification, it involves strongly your listening. You're paying close attention to Him. You're joyfully beholding Him in the meaning of the words of Scripture. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for a moment. And listen to how Paul describes a Christian. Chapter 3, I'll start with verse 15. It's writing to the church in Corinth. To this day, whenever the Bible is read, essentially what he means, what he means by Moses, Scripture, particularly the first five books there, but to this day, whenever the Bible is read, a veil hiding the glory, in other words, lies over their hearts. Who? His fellow Jews who are not born again. And thus they can see when they hear the gospel, the glory of it, and be saved. And when they see the gospel in the Old Testament written, they can't get it. To this day, whenever Moses or the Bible is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one, that is a person, Turns to the Lord. New birth happened. And what happens? The veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. That's a Spirit who came in and caused you to be born again. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, in that person, in that sinner, in that new Christian, is freedom. It's, they're, they're free to love God in the Scripture. I'm sorry, that's amazing. The 
that happened to me. Where the Spirit of the Lord is in them, there is freedom. And thus what? And thus we, Christians, all of us with unveiled face, open up the book. And we're beholding the glory of the Lord. And what's happening? Sanctification. And we are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. Why? Because this comes from the Lord. Uh, who is the Spirit within us? This is at the core of sanctification and what it is. We are being changed, not by mere, let me do what I think I'm to do. You're being changed by experiencing, by seeing, by, by beholding the glory of the Lord. By beholding, thus by paying close attention to the glory of the Lord and being affected, awed by it. So what was the sermon about today? If someone were to go away and just say, well, the sermon was this, we're supposed to read our Bible more because... That's what it says. It's a command. Pay close attention to what the Bible says, and that's what it is to be a Christian, and therefore we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do, and that was what the pastor preached. You totally missed it. And that's not what I've said, and it's not what Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, is saying. Then what? In other words, here's the question. How do we go on so that we don't drift or continue to drift? Here's the message. We pray. We, we constantly pray that God, that you do again in me. What Paul says you're doing, do it again to me today as I pay close attention. Do verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, another. God, cause what, what's there on the page. The meaning's been there long before I was born. I don't make it up. Let me read it accurately. And then, Lord, cause my eyes not only to see it, but my heart to see it compellingly for what it is. Jesus in it. If you
you said that, then you got the message right. And so what we have here in this first paragraph of chapter 2 of Hebrews is what we see often in the Bible. Often in the New Testament. That is this. God in His grace through the writing of Scripture often gives us positive and negative incentives to persevere in faith to the end. Negatively, he says, you know what, that's not you. You don't want to perish to the place where there's no escape if you go on neglecting. That's, yeah, I don't want that. Positively, he says, Behold, my son, in Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus, the Word, God incarnate, made flesh, the Creator of the universe, the Inheritor of all things, who is now upholding the universe in being by the Word of His power. The one who put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself and rose from the dead and ascended on high and is reigning at the right hand of God in absolute power and authority and sovereignty over the universe. Behold, my son, that's the call. And therefore, how could anyone within whom is the Spirit, not want to listen and to meditate on the Word and commune with this Word. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard because it's in Him that we seek. We seek to know Him more intimately. And that's why Christians like us sing. Now my heart's desire is to know you more. To be found in you and known as yours. To possess by faith what I could not earn. All surpassing gifts of righteousness. That's why we sing, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You are my joy and my righteousness. I love you. 
Lord. Let us stand and sing it.